This is MQ's Open Mind, the show where we look at the science behind mental health and its potential to transform lives. I'm Lucy Horton. In this episode, we're going to be talking about anxiety and specifically a type of anxiety called social anxiety, which causes people to have an overwhelming fear of social situations. We're going to hear about what it's like to live with that condition and also what research could do to help improve treatments, taking them online and making them more accessible for people. I'm at Oxford University where I'm joined by two people who know a lot about social anxiety. Professor John Powell, an MQ-funded researcher who's looking into how digital technology can improve healthcare and is currently creating and testing an app for people living with social anxiety symptoms. Hello John. Hi Lucy. Thanks so much for joining me today. I'm Claire Eastham, a mental health blogger and author of We're All Mad Here. Claire's living with social anxiety disorder and she's going to be telling us what it's like from her perspective to live with the condition as well as asking John lots of questions about his research and what it means for people like her. Hello, hello. Thank you for coming in to chat, guys. So to kick off every episode, I ask the guests to tell me the one question they'd like answered above all others about mental health. Now, John, I'm sure you've got quite a few, having studied it for a while, but if you could just pick one that you think would be amazing if we could answer. Um, for me, I, I mean, I'm a, I'm a public health doctor, and so for me, it's always about trying to improve health and prevent people getting ill in the first place. So for me, in terms of mental health, the questions I have are all around how can we prevent people developing mental health problems in the first place. So just like we encourage people to take exercise or eat healthily or not smoke or those sorts of things, you know, to improve the population's health. Um, for me, it's, it's about trying to work out what we need to encourage people to do in order to keep themselves mentally healthy. And Claire? Mine's selfishly a bit more, you know, limited to me. (laughs) (laughs) I'd like to understand more about repetitive thinking. I think, is it rumination? Those repetitive thoughts that you know are irrational and you answer them yourself and you sort it out and then they come back again and again and again. I want to know why we can't fix that. Yeah, great questions. Well, hopefully one day we'll have (laughs) one. So Claire, you have experienced social anxiety, which we're talking about today. Can you tell me a bit about what that means for you? Like, How has this impacted your life? Well, I, I was officially diagnosed when I was 24, but I think I've pretty much had it from birth. And you're how old now? 30. 30. Shh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I really struggled as a kid going to family parties. I was known to literally hide if I could get away with it. And as I grew... It's kind of having attention drawn to me in any way, so someone saying my name. Particularly when I went to school, a teacher would call on me or ask me to read work out loud. It was a nightmare, I would just freeze like a rabbit in the headlights, Uh, blushing, shaking, which I do actually have a national, national, natural tremor now. Okay. And it affected me really badly for a while because I would start avoid going to parties and really struggled in meetings at work, even though... I knew what I was talking about, but I couldn't quite communicate. When I was diagnosed, it's because I actually ran out of an interview. Okay. I had, um, I knew when I was going in, something wasn't right. It was the first panic attack I'd ever had. I went in and all I could think was, you can't answer any of these questions. They're going to look at you and think you're an idiot. Worse than that, you're going to get fired from your current job. And it was like hammering me in the head. My heart was going, I was blushing really, really bad. I was sweating and I couldn't string a sentence together. So in all my wisdom, I decided it was best to stand up and announce in a Jane Austen style voice, I have a neurovirus, I must leave at once. 
I oh never goodness. said once in my life. I bolted <laughs> it out of there, literally just legged it. Where did Eurovirus come from? I have no idea. <laughs> but I thought they're not going to question that. Like, it's the only way, rather than admitting I don't feel very well. Yeah. Even then, I was afraid of being more so of embarrassing myself than oh. sort of being in pain. So I legged it out of there. And then what happened from that point? I mean, it was horrendous at the time. I don't think I've ever been so frightened. But it was ultimately the best thing that ever happened to me because I um, I got diagnosed within 60 seconds, actually. It was classic social anxiety and panic disorder. And I started kind of accepting that I was ill. Yeah. That maybe there were things we could do to help. And how did that feel when you got the diagnosis? Oh, I burst into tears because it this thing finally had a name. Yeah. It wasn't as uncommon as I thought. I wasn't crazy. I was just poorly. Um, and John, you've been looking into anxiety and specifically social anxiety. So you've been looking into things that Claire's talked about, those experiences of avoiding social situations and how we can help people overcome that and deal with those symptoms. And you're actually creating an online tool. Can you tell me about your background and what's led you to get to this point today where you've been managing and creating this tool? Uh, yes, so uh, I'm, I'm a medical doctor by background, uh, but I spend most of my time doing research, and my research interest uh, for the last 15, 20 years has been how can we harness new technologies, digital technologies, to improve people's health and the way the NHS does things. And what was it about social anxiety that uh, interested you in sort of developing these tools to help that condition in particular? So with a background in mental health, psychiatry, um, previously. Obviously, I've, I've always been, I've, right, you know, all, all my life been interested in mental health. And um, social anxiety is obviously one of the biggest problems um, for the population as a whole, uh, the most common anxiety disorder. It, you know, and it is, as, as um, Claire was saying, it, you know, it can be very disabling to people. It can really um, limit what they do in their uh, everyday lives. And people avoid meeting other people, avoid going to parties. It might influence their, um, you know, relationships their work can influence all areas of their life and so so given that it's such a common problem and it's so pervasive um it seemed a sort of natural thing to yeah. be looking at for someone who, who wants to to think about the population as a whole and like i said i'm interested both in the disorder but specifically the mq funded work just looking at the symptoms so people people who experience these these symptoms in day-to-day -day life that are limiting um you know the way they live their lives um could we help could we help that yeah Absolutely. Um, I'm sure that Claire, having experienced the condition yourself, do you have any questions, like burning questions for John about how this could impact someone like you? One or ten questions. <laughs> <laughs> That's really interesting, actually, that you say it's one of the most, well, it is the most common anxiety because it gets the least amount of press, I'd say. So I'll jump in with my first question, which is, what do you think the most common symptoms of social anxiety are? From my experience, it's kind of being that frozen when somebody speaks to you, heart palpitations, blushing. Is that what you've... Yeah, yes, I think so. It's interesting you say that it's, it's one of the less talked about because I do wonder whether social anxiety lacks having sort of champions who talk about it, unlike yourself, obviously, who, who is someone who talks about it. And maybe because, you know, embarrassment is a, is a feature of social anxiety, maybe ironically that's why people don't stand up and talk about it. Um, but yes, yeah, so symptoms-wise, I mean, as I'm sure you know, but for, for the listeners, you know that people experience both physical symptoms of anxiety, so you know, shaking and sweating and blushing and um, palpitations, but also those sort of cognitive feelings of worry and and um, 
uh, feeling what people are thinking about them and, and, and in, in situations where they're under scrutiny. So it's, it's, people talk about fear of social situations, but it's really a fear of negative evaluation, fear that other people are going to judge you in some way or, or you know, that will be critical of you. So people avoid those situations where they feel they'll be scrutinised and judged and looked at by the people who may look at them blushing or um, yeah it's sweating. when those kind of thoughts come mm. in my head like they mm. think you're an idiot they think you're a loser and it yeah. kind of overrides your natural just be in the moment yeah yeah exactly the initial treatment for me which is uh, really ironic was when i was suspected of just being shy was the kind of tough love approach teachers used to single me out to read out loud in class and i was encouraged slash forced to join clubs what are your thoughts on this approach yeah, um, it doesn't it doesn't sound like the right approach, except to say, I mean, obviously, exposure is a part of the treatment for any anxiety disorder, phobia. You know, we can think of people who are afraid of spiders. You know, you need to be exposed to spiders, but but exposure, particularly for something like social anxiety disorder, needs needs to be consensual. You know, it needs to be with your agreement and it needs to be under your control. And also, this sort of approach you described, the the sort of being thrown in the deep end. Um, it, it didn't allow you to sort of prepare yourself, prepare your thoughts for the situation. And that's a key part with the treatment of social anxiety is to, to not just put yourself in a situation that you might that might make you anxious. And so, you know, make yourself experience that. And then, but to be prepared that you're going to be experiencing that and then to think about then how your brain is working in that situation so that you can reevaluate what it means to be looked at by other people and and, and the thoughts that are going through your head at that time. And also, and again, Claire, I'm sure you know, that the, the people talk about safety behaviours in social anxiety, that people with social anxiety sort of l- learn certain behaviours which sort of, in the short term, make their anxiety less, but in the long term don't help the fact that they've got symptoms. In fact, they perpetuate the symptoms because they use these safety behaviours to to avoid being too exposed to the 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 situation so they may avoid eye contact or they may talk too quickly to get through the public speech they're giving or you know th- those sorts of behaviors and again if you haven't prepared yourself to tackle you know what you're doing then that oh actually now I'm using a safety behavior I need to sort of rein that in um, then again being thrown in at the deep end you've got no time to prepare yourself to, to do those things so so I think exposure is important but not the situation you describe. It's really funny you should say that because, as you said, safety behaviours, I caught myself doing one of mine. I kind of cross my arms and hold my body really, really tight. Like, if I do this, I will be safe. And actually, it's really uncomfortable. So I'm just going to open my arms now and relax a little bit. (laughs) Have you learned to recognise when you're doing things that aren't helpful like that? Yeah, mainly because they're uncomfortable. And you kind of think, I've been crossing my arms so tight now. It's actually going white. Like, maybe I should just let go and see what happens. Yeah. I don't fall apart. Just catch yourself when you're doing it. So I've been reading about your research project, the eCouch program. Could you want to take me through the basics of it? Yes, eCouch is um, an online tool. It's not mine. I didn't develop it. And actually, that's important because my interest here is to evaluate whether it works or not. It is a a website-based tool uh, that's a combination of information, so educational information about what social anxiety is, and also an interactive element of um, exercises and homework, really, um, setting people tasks to do that they have to uh, go offline and do and then come back and report back what they've done. But it's fully automated. So in terms of reporting back, it's really just reporting back to themselves. It's a, self, it's a self-help diary where they can um, set their own goals and tasks and, and go into a situation and 
come back and, and take notes and report their notes about how they felt in that situation, etc. Okay. And do people actually do it? Because when I think of myself, and I'm, it's not that I'm lazy, it's just that my anxiety finds ways of sabotaging stuff that's good. Like, go for a run. No, why do you do that? No, just stay here, stay on the couch. E-couch. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's. I, th- I mean, I think this is a challenge for all digital interventions, actually. I mean, as you, as you know, you know, in... in mobile health at the moment and you know digital health generally there's a whole explosion in apps and technologies to um treat people with health problems or you know or, or improve their exercise or diet or whatever you know the, the sort of whole health app phenomenon has, has come along in the last couple of years with everyone or most people now having smartphones and that's how most people now access the internet is through their phone so it's an obvious thing to do but but i think we do have to accept that if you're trying to achieve a treatment, a therapy, people can't just be sort of passive recipients of that yeah. through a through a um, you know screen. Um, that they do that they do have to engage and work themselves. And I think that is one of the challenges for us in this program. Is it's not just about getting people to sign up and download something. They need to understand that there is an element of of um, them themselves taking action um, through uh, you know the sort of self help approach that that the the, the tool is promoting um, and keeping them engaged is a real challenge and not just in, in my research but across all these digital health tools and studies it's relatively straightforward to get people to sign up it's really hard to keep them engaged and keep them online and, and using your tool and so most of the studies of these sorts of things show that you can get thousands of people to join up but then actually the numbers who use the tool are much less and then the numbers who keep using it for months is, is, even, is even fewer um, so I certainly think one of the big challenges is in the from the digital point of view, digital health point of view, is get, keeping people engaged and using these yeah. tools. Yeah. Have you come up with any strategies so far that you? Can it's 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 difficult in a way because being or? being pragmatic, you you want to test something that ultimately could be rolled out as part of you know health services. Yeah. So you don't want to make the study, the trial, the research phase too artificial. So yes, you could get people going, you know, researchers going to people's homes. That would probably keep them engaged. Yeah. But if it was rolled out across the country, you couldn't, the whole you point couldn't is that do that. The whole point is this is an online, self-help, cheap, scalable yeah. thing. Even phoning, you know, researchers could phone people to keep them engaged. But again, if we were to roll this out, ultimately, you couldn't have people phoning everyone who downloaded an app. So we considered those sorts of options and they would, in a, in a way, they would, they would keep more people in the study. Yeah. But ultimately, then that wouldn't, reflect what it's going to be like in real life how we've tried to do it is by having some automated um, efforts to keep people engaged so so we send people text messages in an automated way and we send people emails in an automated okay. way which sort of try and you know give a positive message and keep people engaged and encourage them mm. to keep coming back but it's yeah know, i know because i've used the um the headspace app the mm-hmm. meditation one and that kind of has you almost like unlock levels as you do more and more. Yeah. So I wonder whether something like that could be. Yeah, no, that's interesting. interesting. And I think people increasingly in these tools are employing sort of ga- game like psychology. Game, yeah. yeah, game psychology measures. And and you know, and in fact, if you want to look at how to keep people stuck on the screen, you know, you need to just look at video games, and that's how to keep people stuck on the screen. <laughs> or so, a cash prize. Yeah. <laughs> some, incentive, some incentive, absolutely. And and interesting. I mean, we don't, we haven't used any sort of game psychology bits in this. Maybe that is also something for the future that you do. You know. You could have some yeah. sort of reward. The end game for social anxiety sufferers is to be able to kind of participate comfortably in social situations, not just kind of endure them, which is what I did for a long time. 
And at my worst, uh, when I was first diagnosed, actually, I was encouraged to be more social, which seems, excuse the word, crazy to me, because you wouldn't tell someone with a broken leg, you know, just go for a walk, walk more and you'll feel better. Whereas actually I found that when I took the time to read up more on my condition, understand what it was that was happening to me, I kind of created the foundations of my recovery. So I'm curious to know, do you think that research and providing information about mental illness is key to recovery? And also, does eCouch help users to understand what exactly social anxiety is? I, I think giving information is really important. And, and yes, the, 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 the tool we're testing, eCouch, does, does have a large educational component explaining you know, what it is, what the symptoms are, how many people um, also have social anxiety, etc. So, so y- yes, we, we are providing that information. And one of the key things I think from some other work I've done is finding out that you're not the only person who has the problem that you're looking at. Um, and I think that sort of sort of almost universality, you know, knowing you're not alone and there's lots of other people out there who are going through the same thing is in itself helpful. And also sometimes knowing you're not alone, but also other people have got better and have found a you know a way forward is, is also Is that what helpful. you found, Claire, with your blog and... Did you find that part of the healing process or part of your recovery? Yeah, absolutely. When I first started writing, it was 50% me kind of just venting. But also, I, was like, I can't be the only one who has this. I just can't. And there's got to be somebody else out there. And it turns out that was true. You know, we created our own little online community. Yeah, so do you get people writing into you to tell you about their own experiences that are similar to what you're writing about yeah all the time uh, either it's comments on my blog or people email me or parents of um, kids who have it just sharing experiences back and forth and what things work for us and embarrassing stories yeah. I think that's great I like humor with things like that another crafty thing about anxiety which is definitely true for me is that it's the shapeshifter and you can't schedule it like the time during the day when say I'd see a therapist it might not happen whereas if it gets to 11 o'clock at night and I suddenly have this massive attack and I don't have a means to kind of channel it is this the the idea behind e-couch the idea that you can use it whatever time you want yeah I think um I think one of the big advantages of the of harnessing sort of digital tools online environment to provide these things is is their convenience and it's you know any time any place anonymous um private thing that you can do um and i think that is one of their big advantages i think it's not it's not intended to be a substitute for a therapist especially our tool which is fully automated you know there's no contact with any with any person but it is intended to be a sort of a low level of of self-help that you can access at any time yeah i'm interested to know as claire as someone that's experienced this condition how you think this approach compares to therapy that you've had I think it sounds great personally because again it's therapy it's one hour once a week if you can get it and if you can afford it yeah whereas this seems more that you get the educational part because like I said I didn't understand what I was dealing with which was part of the problem yeah safety behaviors I didn't realize that's something I did and that was classic but then to be taken through different approaches in one package when you go to a therapist from my experience anyway they tend to focus on one area of therapy so this seems like you get the, the whole package. Yeah. So what kind of exercises would you be doing in therapy that you think are mirroring the app by sounds of things? Well, like um, John talks about warpy thoughts, which I like. <laughs> uh, it's recognising thoughts that I have that are irrational. Okay. Like people think you're an idiot. 
do they really? Do you have any proof of that? Identifying thinking errors, rationalizing them, and then rewriting the situation. Okay, cool. That's interesting. And I should, I mean, I should say that that is the the approach eCouch is, is is aiming for. But again, I should say, you know, it's not really aiming to substitute for a therapist, but it, okay. it's more an adjunct for people self help or for people who maybe whose whose level of social anxiety means they don't get to get treatment. Yeah, or something um, that but, could but, sit alongside yeah. also going to see a therapist. Because we recognise that, you know, there are good there is good evidence for therapist treatment working and we don't want to well that's, we're not trying to change that. This is just to provide a, a, a broad based self help to people who aren't getting other treatments, yeah. you know, can access it themselves at a time and a place that they're choosing. This might be a stupid question, but how how do you know if it's working or not? How do you prove it? Because we wanted to do it in a fully automated way. So again, we're not sending out a therapist or someone to, to see them at the beginning and at the end. So again, it's it's self it's self reported. Okay, so it's people filling in these validated questionnaires, you know, measures of social anxiety, measures of uh, your your fear of being negative eva- negatively evaluated. Uh, we've also got some measures looking at mental well being and these sorts of um, scales, but they're all questionnaires. Mm-hmm. So people fill in those questionnaires at the beginning and then they fill the questionnaires in at the end um, and in some time points in between and and then we're comparing the people who are using eCouch with the people who, who aren't and seeing whether there's a difference and like I said at the end of the study the people who aren't using eCouch we are then giving them access to it so we're not depriving anyone it's just some people are not going to use it straight away and if this proves to be a success where would you like to take eCouch well again like I said I, I, I don't run e-couch I'm evaluating it but I think uh, so I think clearly they'd want to roll it out more promote it more promote it in this country and also we talked about or I talked about how how you can use it on a mobile phone but it isn't an app but it looks more or less like one but I think also making that full jump into an app I'd like to say a huge thank you to Claire Easton and John Powell for coming on the show and also to you for listening if you've been affected by issues covered in this podcast and would like to speak to someone about mental health The Samaritans is available to call on 116 123. Thank you.